the bleak midwinter. It's the end of January. I'm on North Strand on Xavier Avenue and I'm going to meet Lancome in their studio, Gorilla Studios, and we're going to talk about some of the songs from their most recent album, Between the Earth and the Sky. So there's a car garage here and there is a big gate. Maybe if I go through the little door... I'll find what I'm looking for. What you can hear there is the trains leaving Connolly Station, going northbound. How are you? Not so bad. All good. How are you? How are you all? There's a um, pleasant aroma. <laughs> Jazzy. Jazzy, yes, yes. <laughs> This is The Granite Gaze, one of the standout tracks from Lancome's second album. You're about to hear three quarters of the group, along with their producer Spud, talking through the writing and recording process of the song. We'll hear an early demo version, different elements of the track in isolation, and find out more about their lyrical inspiration. It's Lancome on the Thin Air podcast. The album actually ended up being slightly late because we were doing this last song. It was one of those things, we kind of recorded everything, mixed it, and had it ready to go, and then we're like, it just kind of seemed like there was something, it needed, like there was just something kind of missing off it or whatever. And then we had a bit of a kind of crisis between ourselves, we're like, should we stall the ball a bit and stick an extra song on, or if we just let it go, and then it was like, if you want to put an album out, you want it to, you know, it's going to be there forever, so you want to be totally happy with it. So we kind of decided to do the last minute freak out and do to stick the last song on it. Ian, Ian came up with the kind of basis of it and then we spent a couple of months kind of trashing out the, the melodies and, and harmonies and the lyrics and structure of the song and kind of had a good to go for June. And a lot of that happened going around the UK as well on a tour, didn't it? That the UK and had Morocco. An hour, Morocco. Morocco, yeah, Remember having an hour off in between soundcheck and gig and the lads were sitting down working on a new song. It was really impressive and inspiring, to be honest. Yeah, it was a really of, tough tour as well, and it was crazy hours. One of the main things I remember about getting it done. Yeah, I remember sitting on a train in Morocco. It must have been like three or four hour journey on a train, just with a notebook, and just scribbling down loads of different ideas. And just like that was that was the whole thing. It was like scribbling down loads of ideas, and then whoever it would be, be like Radio would be like, "What about this?" And be like, "Nah, that sounds stupid." What about this? No, that's crap. That sounds good. Okay, we'll put that in. But then that bit doesn't work and you spend hours kind of putting the lyrics together like that. But it was the first time that we'd had a full kind of collaboration between the four of us putting an original song together. So that was kind of exciting and kind of makes you kind of hopeful for the future that we could go on actually putting songs together as, as the four of us, you know. And it's a standing ovation for the shadow of a stone as we dig into the soil beneath our home. Did you just kind of chat about the idea before throwing words at it? I mean, was it a case of like talking about the topic or the theme of it itself? 
before you started contributing to it? There was like endless discussions over the lyrics and over the themes of the lyrics and, and what they're about, like just on and on. That was like those two months, it's kind of all I can remember. So we really, really hashed out all the ideas and lots of other ideas that didn't make it into the song as well. The granite gaze upon us now. Granite gaze. That was Rady's phrase. It was, yeah. It wasn't my phrase at all. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. From what I remember, what she had in mind with that phrase was statues, it was Catholic statues that you see around the place still. Mm. Like these statues of Mary or whatever. So it's basically that idea of the, yeah, these granite eyes kind of looking at you. Looking down on you. And tell no lies For now we own Those same stone eyes And now we own those same stone eyes The idea of becoming institutionalised And then taking on that visage And brainwashing away And just, I mean, there's yeah, lots of references To parts of the Catholic Church Over the last hundred years in Ireland And the stuff they've done We're a psyche And how we've ended up In the position we're in today Mentally yeah. speaking. <laughs> the future's just a thing we say To keep this sordid past at bay Still we cling on to the mother who eats her own I think it's interesting as well the, the way the song addresses that idea that oh well in the future it'll be better to kind of repress their anguish or emotional trauma the general gist of that line, the the future is just the thing. It's that idea that people have that now, you know, oh, we're we're past all that, or we're over all that, or like, you know, that was in the past. This is modern Ireland or whatever. But it's definitely not true. There's definitely it's definitely still very real and kind of fucked up ways that all that stuff still lingers and kind of carries on. Mm. And the minor notes in tribute or in honor to the women and children of Ireland. Yeah, kind of specific thing. To women and children of Ireland. Yeah, and because obviously the song makes makes a reference to as our daughters sneak away across the foam, you know, talking about the, the legacy of that kind of mindset and the fact that it's it's still something that's pertinent in our society today. You know, maybe in my son's generation it's different, but uh, for us certainly, like we, we still have a big hangover from that era. You know, in lots of different ways, or uh, maybe in ways that are a bit more subtle and we can't put our our fingers on. You know. So was there a demo version of this before you recorded it? Several. Yeah. Yeah. I think originally you came over to my house with, and we recorded a couple of very early kind of drafts and then showed it to Cormac and Ray D. I've got one then on my computer. If you want to play it for you if you want. Yeah. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The melody was, I think the melody originally was different for the start of the verses. And I remember, yeah, the original one had, it was a statement instead of a question. It was, we are the ones, I think. Yeah, just little things like that where we'd be like, well, what, what if it's a question instead of a statement? And then, so the first line becomes, are we the ones? I think the chorus is totally different. The chorus used to be in minor, did it? We are the ones Left behind By those who the cords that bind, they suck the marrow from a very 
<laughs> it's like fucking rack of shreds. <laughs> Well, <laughs> no, it's great to hear the germ of an idea and where something starts, you know? Like, you need that kind of delusional faith in it, yeah, yeah. you know, small scrap of a song to go, no, like, in my head, this can be something else. Yeah, it's actually giving me a bit more hope for what we were doing today now, actually hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe puts things a bit into perspective. Yeah. Are you just in standard tuning as well on that, or is there a different yeah, tune? It's a standard tuning, yeah. It's the chords that I'm playing are all based around the, the, the bass strings, actually. So they're inverted chords, so the root notes aren't the ones that I'm playing on the top bass string. It gives it that kind of weird open tuning kind of sound. Yeah. Thing. By the time it came time to record. You already had like the time signature change in the middle and going in to record that, did you have an ambition for that to be quite cinematic and dramatic? And, and you know, the way it turns out and the way it really swells is really impactful. What were your intentions oh, yeah. going in to record it? For it to be a pure Philip Glass ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> classic kind of amazing Philip Glass stuff that he does of like those triplets that are like yeah like switching from going bass to treble and then going the opposite way it's just that arpeggios it's just it, chords so it's just chords arpeggios of chords happening every time in triplets then reversing it yeah because radio had a lot of trouble doing that because when we were coming up with it, we were like, yeah, what What if? We are like, yeah, getting all excited. What if, instead of doing that chord normally where you go, you do it backwards and it goes, like, oh. her head was melted. But she, and I think the fifth is the one thing that stays during the entirety of it. The, 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 across the board. Arpeggio. In every arpeggio. I think, I think have you got that? we can find out. <laughs> we have the technology. So what are we looking for at the moment, John? Harmonium, Harmonium solo. I think it's a really the strong part of the song. Like I think it gives it kind of a almost a cinematic scope, um, and it has a kind of like sinister kind of edge to it. You know. So in terms of mixing that, like uh, there's a lot of elements in there. Uh, how did you get them to sit together? There's a lot of space as well, though. Like it's practically just guitar and vocals at the start, isn't it? With harmonics from Ian's concertina. Well, they're notes, but they're they sound like harmonics. They're so high up. Yeah, and then a bit. And of then a viola. viola comes in. So it's not really until the the middle section when the bayan and the comes it's in with the more ready beat again. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. sounds like Sun or a metal band or something, a lot of the... It's hard to believe that this is part of a folk <laughs> mix, but uh, it's quite a lot of different. Yeah. 
scratchy viola part. Yeah. Or black metal influence. <laughs> yeah. I guess it was just mirror imaging the chaos that kind of happened. And now it's something just burst out of the clouds before it just falls right back down into the, you know, harsh reality, I suppose. So, does it help to be very hungover to sing a bass part that low, or how do you get down there? Yeah, smoke, smoke a load of cigarettes the night before. Still we cling on to the mother who eats her own. Are we the ones left behind by those who weave cords that bind? There's this weariness, there's this fatigue, this kind of mournful quality to the way it's sung, but without it ever compromising the clarity of the notes. The morning that we started recording it, Rady was kind of feeling sick and was worried about whether she'd be able to do it or not. And as oh. soon as the first take was done, Ian was like, oh, that sounds amazing. Like her voice is really gravelly and like it really suits the subject matter of the track. They draw the from our very bones and we in turn turn on our own As we were putting it together Ian was singing it and then at one point we were like well maybe because of the subject matter actually it would actually make more sense for a woman to sing it. Brady definitely sings it a bit softer she's used to belting out like she really really belts out songs a lot so for her, it was a kind of a new thing to sing a bit more softly. But uh, I reckon she did a good job. <laughs> this case, whatever it was that was going on at the time, like the kind of context around it, it really suited the song perfectly, and I think it worked really well at the end of the day. Couldn't have, yeah, couldn't have gone better, you know? Just, I mean, I know she was sick, that's really bad and all, but just that she ended up kind of singing in that way in the song, it just, it just fits it perfect. This has been the Thin Air Podcast. I've been Danny Carroll, and this is Lancome with the Granite Case. Are we the ones left behind by those who weave cords that
granite gaze upon us now a skulking mass recalling Bonsoir.